We come back this morning in our study of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Jesus describes these seven churches as seven candlesticks. And he looks into each church and he sees certain things, some good and some bad, and he speaks truth to them. We've looked at the first two churches of these seven the church at Ephesus, and the church of Smyrna. And this morning we traveled north. If you look at this map, you can see the third city that uh, is on the left side as you're looking at. You probably can't see the, uh, can't read it, but up here this is called Pergamos. We started with Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamos. Today we focus on Pergamos. I want to say from the beginning today that this, to me, is probably the hardest and most painful of the seven churches in several respects. There's many issues in the church at Pergamos. It's a painful story. And it has within it three difficult subjects to deal with. I have never believed that preachers should avoid a difficult subject, but I've always believed that I'm not sure what to say sometimes. So we'll say from the beginning, Lord God, you speak to us today what you want to say. Pergamos, or Pergamon, was called by Jesus the throne of Satan. That right there ought to be enough for us to sit up and maybe get a little lump in our throat and wonder why. I heard this term a long time ago. Recreational preaching. Today, this is not it. The throne of Satan. It's not the Apostle John, it's not a preacher, it's not a Bible scholar. That's what Jesus called. Pergamum was a desperately dark place. Spiritually and morally. Yet in the middle of Pergamum was a church that Jesus cared deeply about. A church that was trying to be a light in a dark dark, dark place. 
And we do know Jesus said that the light overcomes the darkness. It had a lot to deal with in Pergamon. If you want to turn in your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read this text today. This isn't for the lighthearted. To the angel of the church at Pergamon, write. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Thank you. You may be seated. The ancient city of Pergamos, the ruins of which... Much is preserved, sits atop a mountain overlooking a beautiful fertile valley where the city of Bergama is today. The church at Pergamum was engulfed in a city that was largely pagan and devoted to idol worship. They also were devoted, especially we read in church history about Pergamum, that they were as was the case at Smyrna, which they're only about 45 miles apart, they were devoted to emperor worship. And they sacrificed animals and people and forced the residents and those that lived in the city to either worship as they did or face terrible consequences. In addition to that, into this fairly large city, there were three temples that had been built, and they were all very large. The first one was the, the temple of Zeus. The ruins are there today and you can go and visit them. Go to that next slide if you would. And, and uh, you'll see a little bit about the temple of Zeus. You can go and see how big it is and up on the hillside. The whole culture of Pergamum was steeped in the worship of the emperor and the Greek and Roman gods. Extremely hostile to Christianity. There are some places in the Roman world where they coexisted without the uh, 
antagonism and, and the, the terrible suffering and persecution. But Pergamon was absolutely along with Smyrna. I believe are described as the two worst cities in Asia, basically for this. And Pergamon was the worst. And so it's into this context that Jesus speaks with a sharp, double-edged sword. Into the context of all this paganism and stuff that was going on, Jesus says, I come and I speak with a sharp, double-edged sword. In other words, he has something to say that's deep and important, not to be glossed over. There's seven times that that term is found in the New Testament, the double-edged sword, and two times in the book of Revelation, the church at Ephesus and the church here at Pergamos. Jesus says that there's power and truth over evil. There is truth over deception and sin. There is deception out there, and there are people that are caught up in it. But the power of the double-edged sword is that Jesus cuts through that and speaks truth to people who have ears to hear, and they listen. He uses that sword sharply to warn the church at Pergamum in the midst of this. To speak tough words. And maybe you would say a tough subject. In Pergamum were these temples, as I said, the temple of Zeus that I described, where they worshipped the emperor during this time, Domitian. He ruled Rome from 81 AD to 96, about the time that the book of Revelation was written. He was ruthless. He was strong. And he brought about some wicked things that happened in these cities. And then there was a temple of Di- Dionysus, which was the the Greek god of wine and the god of theater. The temple of Dionysus was especially known to be a, a horrible place that terrible things were done to people that would not worship the Roman and the Greek gods. It was here it was thought that uh, human sacrifices were made. It had a long history. So added to this, and likely the designation of Jesus as the throne of Satan was what happened in the temple of Dionysus. You may have heard the term before, maybe not. The brazen bull. The brazen bull was a torture device used to kill people. I've read about it, I've heard about it for a long time, and far more horrible than just about any other form of torture I've ever heard of. It is so sick and vile that it's hard to know what to say about it when you read the descriptions of how it was used to torture people. I'm not here today to sensationalize anything, but I want you to know I can see why Jesus would call this the throne of Satan. It was here that Antipas, Jesus names him, gives him a name, my faithful witness. It was here according to many records that he was put to death in the brazen bull in 92 AD in the temple of Dionysus. 
this truly was a horrible and evil place in many ways. The worship of animals, the sacrifices. And to this church, within this city, Jesus speaks. It was a fair-sized church. A lot of people had become Christians and the light was shining bright in Pergamos in many ways. There were many people who were faithful to the name of Jesus there. And Jesus says that. There were many people who were suffering because of their faith and they were not giving in. They were not holding out as many others had given in to the pressure. And Jesus has words of thanksgiving to them and reassurance to them. You remain true to my name. There are many people in Pergamon who held on to their faith and held on to the name of Jesus. And even Antipas was one that did so until they put him to death. Right there where Satan lives. So you might wonder, what does Jesus say to those that are martyrs in the faith? Those today that are being persecuted around the world. Well, I want to say one thing. Jesus knows their name. Jesus knows where they're at. Jesus knows when they died. Jesus knows the circumstances that they held up to and they held on to the name of Jesus and only God could make that right in eternity. Jesus has words of reassurance to the faithful and sharp words of warning to the unfaithful there because they were both in the church and in the community. Jesus says, to those that are faithful, that I'm watching you and I see you and I see your perseverance. He uses that word, that word. You remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. So Jesus speaks to the church and reassures them, I see you, I'm with you, I know what you're going through. But then he says, yet I have something against you. There are many in the church that were not holding to the truth of the gospel. And they were becoming false witnesses to those around them. And they were watering down the truth of the gospel, the power of the cross, the power to to overcome sin. He said, I have a few things against you. Number one, there's false teaching that's going on in the church and it's being allowed. It's being tolerated. It's allowing to coexist with the truth in a way that's drawing people away from the truth of what God had to say. First of all, he says to the church at Pergamon, and I believe to the church everywhere, is I know. Jesus said, I know where you're at. I know what you're dealing with. I know where you've been persecuted. I I know where it's been hard. So he says to us today in Mifflinburg, he knows our candlestick. He knows our lives. Jesus sees us. He loves us. He's seated at the right right hand of the throne of God today, interceding for the saints. So I want you to know today when I read the story from Revelation, I'm reading the same Jesus who today is watching out for you and I. And He cares about us. And He loves us. And sometimes He speaks words of great encouragement. And sometimes He might want to speak to our heart words of of warning or words of listen to this. To the church at Pergamum, I see your perseverance, but I have this against you. You're allowing false teaching. I see that you're working at it, he says to them. I see that you have not not renounced your faith. But I also see that among you is false teaching. He also says to them that they are tolerating sin. They are tolerating sin in Pergamum. 
they're turning their heads and not speaking out against things that offend God. And in doing so, it's watering down the faith of the people. Particularly, they've allowed false teachers to impact the church. The teaching, for example, of Balaam. An Old Testament story. And uh, just quickly, we have a, a quick picture of the false teaching that came about because of the teaching of Balaam. And he also talks about the teaching of the Nicolaitans, where there was this deep compromise of morality and truth and accommodation to others, uh, to other viewpoints about what God says is true and right and just. Who were the Nicolaitans? They were a group of people who believed that they had a certain viewpoint of God and eternity and morality that was not consistent with the teaching of Jesus. And it existed for a long time. It, was a, a, it went into several generations. And even today you have groups that claim to be Christians, but their teaching is not consistent with what Jesus said about morality particularly. Another aspect of the Nicolaitans and also the teaching of Balaam was the accommodation of temple worship to the emperor. And that there were some people in the church at Pergamum that were combining the two. And they were worshiping the emperor. They were worshiping animals. They were worshiping all kinds of the created things. But yet they called themselves believers and Christians. They were sacrificing and eating meat that was sacrificed to the gods. And for them it was a part of their worship. And so it was very destructive. And, and Jesus speaks to that. The food worshiping, the food worship, the emperor worship. And then a primary false teaching that was a part of the church at Pergamum. Sexual immorality was being tolerated and practiced by those that called themselves Jesus' disciples. And in Pergamum there was a depth of an evilness and a wickedness that pervaded the church and the community. And Jesus said, I come with a sharp two-edged sword and I warn you about that. Among those who are claiming to follow Christ, but yet they do not follow what the Bible says about their sexuality. We're reminded today of how precious the gift of sex is and how important it is that we understand God's plan for our sexuality. When I think about the church at Pergamos and the culture of our world today, I see this right alongside the evilness of not honoring God with that part of who we are. And it was very hard at the church then to think that we know better than our Creator. To think that our understanding of who we are and how we're wired and how we're made is, is, is more important than more valuable than knowing how the Creator made us and what He expressed to us. The Bible tells us in many places that sex is important to God. It's a precious gift that God gives us. And we should value it and honor it and cherish it. And any sexual relations outside of God's plan separates us from God. Any viewpoint or way that we live that dishonors what God has given us in this area, this important area of our lives, blocks something spiritually between us and God. 
Maybe it seems like a little thing at first, but when we don't honor God in this area of our lives, we're inviting Satan to come in and completely wipe out our ability to connect and hear the voice of God in our lives. And so sexual immorality was a big issue in Pergamon. It's a big issue in a couple of the churches that are named in the book of Revelation. I think how relevant that is to the church today and our culture today with the viewpoint and how people view what God says about our sexuality, what the Bible says about sexuality. And if we do not hear what God says, then we're rejecting the authority of God in our lives. To think that we know better than our Creator brings pain and sorrow. It brings emptiness to people and relationships. God created sex for our enjoyment, for our pleasure. He created it to be a great blessing in our lives. And if we're outside of God's plan with how you view your body, how you view that very precious part of you, then you invite a disconnect from the Creator who loves you so much. God's plan for sex is perfect. It's beautiful. It's enjoyable. It's, it's wonderful as God made it. God has said throughout the Bible that sexual relations are to be between a husband and wife who have committed themselves to each other. A man and a woman. And any, any sexual relations outside of that is destructive of spiritual connection with God. God tells us that not because He doesn't want us to enjoy something, it's because He wants to make it better and protect us from something that can be very painful when we're outside of God's plan. To think that we know better than our Creator. I mean, just stop there and think about that. Could we know better than the One who created us? What the meaning and the value and the blessing of our sexuality is? God created sex for us. And it's beautiful. And as in the days of Pergamum, so it is in the days that we live if we reject God's truth about this. Any sexual relations outside of God's plan is sin and separates us from God. God loves you and wants what's best for you. He understands your needs. He understands how you're made, how you're wired. He understands what your desires are. There's nothing wrong with those desires that young men and young women have. And that's a part of how we're made and it's beautiful. But if we don't approach it from how the Creator meant it to be, then it can become and will become painful and destructive in our lives. And it will hurt people. It will hurt you and it will hurt others. But God gives us those guidelines because it's the best. It's His plan and it's beautiful. The Bible does talk about many forbidden sexual acts and we've mentioned some over time adultery fornication sex outside of of marriage between a man and a woman homosexuality prostitution the word pornio which of course creates uh, in english pornography jesus talked about lust he said any man that lust after a woman who looks after a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery. It's not just the physical act, but it's the, the spirit, the mind, the soul, and being conformed by the beautiful picture and wonder of what God has for us. God gives us what He says about sexuality because He wants us to be completed. He wants our needs to be met and 
He understands our needs. He understands our desires. He understands every part of us. He also understands how life gets hard sometimes and life gets complex and sometimes we find ourselves outside of His plan. It's not that God is shocked by that. He knew that. He knew what was going on in Pergamum. He knows what's going on in each one of our lives. But you understand that He loved us so much that even knowing that Jesus went to the cross to bring forgiveness for every sin, for anything outside of God's plan, whether it's sexuality or it's our our attitude toward money, or it's the way we treat people, it's our tongue, or, or how we worship God, or anything that violates the commandments of God. Uh, Jesus went to the cross so that He could take away those sins from our lives and our hearts. So I want to say you, to you today, if you're in that place when you're, you're wondering, what's God's plan for my life with my sexuality? And is it important to God? Just realize how important it is that God speaks today with a sharp two-edged sword and he speaks about sexual immorality Jesus went to the cross to bring us healing and truth and goodness 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says it like this flee from sexual immorality all other sins a person commits are outside the body but whatever sins sex, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You realize that when we're out of God's will about our sexuality, we're bringing sin. Somehow, this verse tells us we're bringing it into our spirits and our bodies. And one of the problems with that is how hard it is to let go of that. Let go of the emotion, let go of the guilt. Let go of the confusion. Let go of the false teaching. And boy, is there false teaching about sexuality out there. Just turn on the TV. Pick up a book. Pick up a magazine. Primetime. Primetime TV. The movies that are out there. The songs. We live in Pergamum in some ways. The United States, Mifflinburg. And you've got to decide. You've got to decide. Did God really give us this? And what He wants us to do with it? There's so many voices out there that would tell you, ah, that's old-fashioned. That's... That's so long ago. Oh, no. It's today in Mifflinburg and our lives and our choices. If you want to be fulfilled in your life and have joy with the Lord, find a better way. Embrace God's view of your sexuality. He loves you so much. All sex outside of sexual relations between a husband and a wife is outside of God's plan. So what do we do about it? God created Adam and Eve, an amazing, beautiful plan of sex for our pleasure, for our joy, for unity, for children, for grandchildren. All other sex leads to pain, brokenness, disappointment, 
depression. So what do you do if you're there? Please don't stop listening if you're there. Please don't stop listening. You have a loving creator who reaches out to you today in the same way that Jesus reached out to Pergamon. He said it kind of simply like this. Repent. Turn around. Stop. Wherever you're at, just stop. That's what repent means. It means that I stop what I'm doing and I turn around. And so in this area, this is God knows we're, we're tempted. He knows our path. He knows the way our life's gone. And there's nobody here today that God would say, I'm cutting you off. You're through because you've sinned. No, it's not like that at all. God is saying, I love you so much and I want you to, I want you to turn back from it. I want you to embrace me and my love for you the joy and the wonder in this area particularly of your life. In fact, this is what Jesus said about it. The teachers of the law one day brought this woman to Jesus and threw her at Jesus' feet, one translation says. Ha! We caught her. She was found in adultery. What are you going to do with her, Jesus? You're the one saying this stuff about morality and truth and all that stuff. And you know the law of Moses. You know she deserves to be stoned. Think about this. Please don't leave yet. Here. Think of that story. Thrown at Jesus' feet. They wanted him to condemn her to die and be stoned to death. That's what she deserved. You know what Jesus said? Something very wise he said to the crowd. You who are without sin, throw the first stone at her. One writer said you can just hear the rocks falling to the pavement. Then later on, not right, I won't say everything about the story, but then you know what Jesus did? says that he took the woman. One translation says he took her by the hand. Another one doesn't. I'm not sure. But he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? They all dropped their rocks. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. When we're confronted with the double-edged sword of Jesus, truth, we have a decision to make. Are we going to hear the heart of Jesus and hear life in His name? Or are we going to reject it? I want to say to you today, young people, I know there's immense pressure about your sexuality. There hasn't been yet. There will be. Both internal and from other people and other peers and movies and false teaching. It's false teaching. 
that outside of God's plan of sex will bring you what you really want in your life. Jesus said to the church at Pergamum, it wasn't just this issue, but I focused on this today. Repent. Turn around. Come to me. As Jesus said to the woman who was caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. If you're caught in sexual sin today by Satan, you remember what Pergamum was? Jesus called it the throne of Satan. Wow. I'm not sure how much was because of the brazen bull and how much was the Nicolate but I, and how much was sexual immorality, but I know it had to be a part of it. I just want to say that sexual immorality is destroying our country. The only way that the church can keep its camp candle stick burning is to hear the words of Jesus and embrace his message today. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I pray about the candlestick in Mifflinburg among the people that are a part of this church and a part of this ministry. People that we rub shoulders with at different events. I'm thinking of Christmas time. I'm thinking of Bible school. I'm thinking of influence that every person in this church has at work and at school. And especially our kids are going back to school or going back to school in the last two weeks. God, how Satan is trying to deceive them about their sexuality the confusion about homosexuality the confusion uh, confusion about transgender about free sex about adultery it does not bring peace I think I'd be hard pressed to find many people who really believe it does a lot of people I know God who would testify how much pain they've had in their life because they did not turn and repent and come back to your truth the sword of the spirit oh Lord God I pray for our young people today especially as they're entering those dating relationships and choices about their morals and what they watch and listen to and who they listen to and where they allow themselves to be and the protection of something so beautiful and wonderful the protection of their God-given gift of sex God help them to commit it to you and look forward to that expression and not feel ashamed or Lord God, understand that our sex, our sexual feelings are complex at times and maybe we, we need to find the right way to be able to talk about them in the right place and the right context that brings truth, brings healing. 
God, give us wisdom as parents and grandparents and as church people. We don't create some ridiculous expectation that is, is uh, too far beyond to be realistic. Help us to have a healthy view of sex. Help us never to convey with our, with our belief that sex outside of marriage is, is, is uh, as God's plan, that we would never convey that there's something wrong with it in any way. But one of the most incredible gifts God gives us. I thank you for that, Father. Give us wisdom. Give us help. God, help our church to allow its candle to burn bright, to be an influence in the lives of young people and teens and children and young adults and adults and, Lord, all the way up and down the line, that we'd have a healthy, godly way that we deal with our sexuality, I pray. Give us wisdom. Give us guidance. Lord, these other areas at Pergamum, the idol worship, and other things, God, speak to our hearts according to Your Spirit, I pray. Thank You for the time to focus today on this. Help us to know Your will, I pray, in all we do. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank You for being here today. Thank You for listening. 